Today on our Nichecast, we get deep in the data as I talk to Lexi Martin and Ian Cook from Vizio. We referenced their piece from earlier this year called 0.66 Reasons to Bet Big on People Analytics. Yes, it's all about the numbers. And as one of the subheads from that piece says, it's the chicken. People analytics leads to business success. And today, these two tell you why. So listen in to why businesses cannot afford to ignore people analytics. Not now, not next year, not the year after. Here's Lexi and Ian to explain why successful businesses lead with data. We are talking about the big ticket topic of people analytics, something which I think is more important than ever. You've done a heck of a lot of research across many different industries over the years, and it's certainly a topic which is becoming more and more popular, and people are paying more attention to why it's important. So I'll come to you first, Lexi. Tell us, what is the true value of people analytics? Yeah, I guess maybe first, I I do want to ask Ian to uh, say something first here about what is people analytics, just to kind of frame how we view the value and why I've done the research I've done the way I've done it. It's probably probably a useful distinction, Lexi, just just so that people are clear what we mean. Sometimes people on Lex gets described as, oh, right, I've got a chart that shows me a headcount. We don't think that's really what we mean. If we were to describe, no, what is it? It's the use of people data to inform a business's decision in order to support the people in the business and support the business. So actually trying to combine those two agendas, not one versus the other, but actually when people thrive, businesses thrive. So like the whole process is taking all of the sources of data we have about people, whether it's their compensation, who they report to, their how they feel about work, combining that together to provide an answer. So it's, it's a very distinctive process and it's it's... The language has been changed and used a lot by lots of different lots of different pieces. So we, we always like to start by, you know, it is this process of taking the data from multiple systems, sorting it out to answer a business question and providing that to business leaders so that they take a different action. It's, okay. it's not just a chart of headcount. So hopefully that's the kind of the direction we need. And let's yeah. hand it back and listen to Lexi's research because we've yeah, done a ton. So, so when you think about all the decisions that uh, get made, Something that's driven my research is that, um, you know, first of all, I've seen that organizations kind of follow a journey to value uh, when they adopt the technology and they get some, um, you know, cost benefit from being able to uh, leverage their people analytics staff most effectively. And then they typically focus on uh, addressing some kind of analytics that helps HR become more effective, you know, like looking at the analytics of their programs or, you know, something uh, like uh, turnover uh, analysis. And then they finally get to a point where they start to focus on what are the key business outcomes that an organization wants. And so what I've seen is that there are these moments that matter in employee lifecycle processes, you know, of attract, develop, retain, and also organizational processes, you know, like uh, planning or trying to uh, improve productivity, although that's got a new wrinkle on it these days. And then also things around the organizational structure, like uh, doing spans and layers or span of control analysis. And then this most recent research is because we've been able to do a longitudinal study of the uh, effectiveness of people analytics and organizations starting back 
long time ago, but you know, looking at at least the last three years, we're uh, we're, we're seeing that organizations that adopt people analytics have matured their practices and they're uh, getting very you know substantial financial impact from that. It's a conversation that's worth looking at, John, because a lot of people have been making investment decisions around technology. And again, both Lexi and I have spent a lot of time in the, the technology side of, of HR. And so there was a, you know, a big drive to replace transactional systems. We consistently meet people who are like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to do this analytics thing, but I've got to spend all this money just getting my record keeping in order. And you know, and when we know that often the outcomes of those record keeping projects aren't what people set out for. Like, uh, actually, I think it was Josh. Uh, I can't remember exactly who Josh Burson and a few other folk. You know, it's on record of the the missed expectations of those large transactional system shifts. And so, Lexi's early career was a lot of looking at that process, and then for the last ten years, it's been like, well, what happens when we use the data? And, and what we're finding is the returns from using the data are there. Uh, and they're not fake. They're not made up. Like the the robustness yeah. with which we've done the work means that the returns from this investment actually re- delivers to HR the kind of credibility they're looking for, and returns to the business in a material way, like two right. dollars and cents kind of return. So, so we think it's an ex- it's exciting. Uh, it's also really really pertinent for the investment decisions people are making right now about technology. I, I was. I'm almost amused by what you just said, Ian, because uh, I remember a project I did years ago, like in 2002, where we actually showed that people analytics paid for the deployment of an HR management system. It's like finally, you know, with uh, being able to, you know, get be able to make improved decisions out of all this data you have through, you know, what was called workforce analytics, now people analytics uh, actually paid for that huge uh, payment of a new HRMS that's supposed to transform the business, but really never did in and of itself. I mean, this is surely the most compelling evidence you need, right? That you can make that much say that those, you know, that degree of savings uh, to pay for something like an HR management system through people analytics. So the obvious question here is of all the businesses that are convinced by this, that's incredible, but what do you do about the businesses that aren't? I mean, th- th- this is that's all the proof you need, right? It's it it's almost because <laughs> I, mean, I think again, what the reason we wanted to have the conversation on your show is you know people are still waking up to the proof. We we are just building that body of evidence. We we first of all, in Lexi and and colleagues did it a a great job on actually defining people on its maturity. We've now been looking at it over time so that we can say not just correlate, not just a correlation like this is associated with, but every dollar put into people on its practice leads to more dollars down the path. But again, when did we, when did you complete that piece of work, Lexi? That's, that was sort of end of last year, beginning of this year. So the, the understanding of that is just emerging. And so we see it important to spread that understanding. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different ways to actually show the value. Um, you know, there's stories. You know, where you can you can show that turnover has you know uh, yielded some dollar uh, amount in uh, you know not having to 
hire more people than necessary. Uh, but, you know, so what researchers do is they oftentimes just do correlations. You know, they look at a set of organizations that have adopted people analytics and a set that haven't, and they can show that those that adopted outperform. What I've tried to do over the years is to go a step further and actually show the causal relationship or as close as you can with statistics. So this, you know, recent chicken or egg article that that uh, that we put together is that causal analysis, you know, so, you know, good practices that organizations have, you know, uh, where they're performing better just leads to this this chicken or egg question. Is it because they have money that they can invest in people analytics or does people analytics and the associated practices actually then enable them to improve their financial performance? And that's what this latest research has been able to do. Maybe we just break down the kind of specific steps in that, that <laughs> research, like to, just so people understand the, the substantive nature of what we're showing. So what was done, John, is the same survey was taken at two different points in time. Uh, we have a model for what, an, for what organizational maturity looks like as it relates to people analytics. It involves the number of different data inputs that are integrated, the number of analytic processes that are being run, and the number of different people it's shared with. Um, our model is supported by the findings of Insight 222 and the insights of Deloitte. Like This practice is becoming common, but we've been able to look at it for the same organization at time one and time two, You've been able to discern if there's an improvement in maturity between time one and time two. What Lexi and team do is then go and look at the publicly available data about the business performance. So using an objective independent assessment of is the business doing well or not as the, the kind of uh, success factor for the organization. So we know that organizations that increased in maturity between time one, one time two also increased in business results. So, that for us, again, we looked at it across a very tight population that were exactly the same and a broad population that were very similar. So, you know, can we claim the, you know, the end of the road and we never need to answer this again? Absolutely not. Can we claim that there is substantive directional information that people should pay attention to? Absolutely. So, you know, and, and as you said, like people have been unconvinced or needing convinced because they don't not because they don't want to, but they don't say understand that and, and can't explain how it works. We're really compelled to explain how it works because we now know we're not guessing anymore. Mm. And for the geeks out there, the, uh, the <laughs> specific analytic process is called a cross-lag analysis, where you just set up two bodies, you know, that uh, with, with the same considerations in both places, financial performance and practices and analytics topics, and the correlation is higher from one time to another, that's what's meaningful. Is this the, this was the value analysis piece that you were talking about? Okay, so that was the cross-lag analysis. The value analysis is actually something else, uh, you know, <laughs> I remember doing a presentation years ago uh, where I had reported, well, you know, this set of organizations with a set of technologies outperforms others. And, and somebody says, well, that's just a correlation. What's the causation? So I've been always kind of uh, challenged to try to find the causation. And there's different techniques. And one of them is this value chain analysis. And what that's about is you don't just adopt a technology and voila, get value. 
It's a set of practices that's associated with adopting that technology. And um, what we've found is that the technology, the practices impact various HR and business outcomes. And that's what leads to improved financial performance. And, and we've done this value chain analysis several times with several different sets of, of survey data. And, you know, the, 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 the analysis process holds true. This last year, because of COVID, it was a little bit more difficult to find, but we still found that organizations that in high-tech and manufacturing that were doing certain analyses, turnover retention, diversity and inclusion, employee engagement, total cost of workforce, you know, these organizations are focused on retaining key talent, benefiting from the effects of uh, higher uh, diversity and inclusion, maintaining employee engagement, all while they're balancing cost efficiency around the total cost of workforce. These organizations have higher financial performance. Um, and, and we've just kind of over and over through this value chain analysis been able to, uh, to, uh, to prove the causal link there. And just to sort of build onto this, John, and it's a way to 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 go from the you know the theory and the structures that we're we're finding you know come out of the practice and looking that consistently across time. So to make it real for listeners, sometimes it helps to go back to a specific example. Now, we have a recent published case study from a client who looked at um, pay as it relates to retention. So pay is an HR policy. There's there's guidance and guidelines and like what can we do with pay? What can we do with pay? You know, lots of time spent understanding pay. So the very first thing this individual did was look at which of my jobs does paying more make a difference to the retention outcome? Like lots of people assume that if somebody's going to leave, you just give them more money and they stay. It is a bad assumption, but it's we, we operate the policy off that assumption without ever testing it. So the very first step is to test that assumption. So you look over time at a thing called comp ratio, you work out where people sit, you look at it from job families and you say, you know, if we moved comp ratio, did we see longer tenure or less exits from that population? So the first thing the individual found is that only 1% of the jobs were susceptible to pay to stay. So out of 2,000 jobs, 20, does it actually matter if you pay more? in terms of retaining people. So again, if you think about an HR policy, well, oh, retention, right? First reaction, let's throw money at it. Well, you're wrong in 99% of the cases because you don't know if the job is that kind of job or not. So that's the first thing. That's where you instantly trigger value because you stop wasting money. This individual then went on to look at, you know, how much more would we pay if we pay that more and people stay in the business? What does that mean? And he was able to prove to finance and to his operations group that, paying people more will save us money. And, and again, you just think of the finance person. <laughs> just, we need to give people more money because it will save the business more money. It's, it's not a conversation that HR has really ever felt comfortable having. And yet through the use of the people data, the habits of behavior, the understanding that over time in big populations, this individual was able to prove that by paying this population more, we will keep them by keeping them. We will secure our business delivery, uh, keep the quality there, keep the volume there. The, the assessment they have is, is about a $6 million saving to this business. Big business, but $6 million saving by paying people more. 
and it's all robust and in the data. And so that's that's an, you know, a really for us a really tangible example of, of the the modeling that Lexi's looked at, which is there's a people analytics practice that understands the business problem. There's an effect on HR decisioning and process, which affect people. There's an outcome for the business, which means you get a better result, you reduce risk, you improve the overall outcomes. And so that there's this just really nice synergy between you know what's the modeling saying and what are the practices are and how do we do that. Again, we're both very compelled that we're at the time where everybody should be doing this because we know how. Yeah, I I, I want to kind of bring together the res- what the research says about the practices. So the practices are around adopting the technology, around doing uh, more uh, analyses in more different places. It's also about integrating more data sources. And the more you can bring together, particularly uh, ones like finance and operational data, uh, because then you can actually measure the, the impact of the workforce on those metrics. Or, And, and then uh, there's also more consumers. And particularly, I think one of the key practices that we're seeing is really bringing value is when organizations enable their people managers, their line managers to actually be using uh, decision uh, support uh, in their daily jobs uh, and then change management. So there's a set of practices that are important that go along with the adoption of the technology. And these are the ones that are at the aggregate level uh, achieving higher level of business outcomes. Thanks, Lexi. <clears throat> yeah, this, this is kind of unequivocally data-led and pretty impossible to uh, push against, you know. For anyone wanting a primer on this, it's uh, our article on Unleash, and it's called uh, 0.66 Reasons to Bet Big on People Analytics This Year, which is a lovely little play on the kind of the listicle format. Before we uh, – well, I'm going to come to the final question now, which is the people in the organisations and the people within those organisations who are doing it well – and who are leading on this and kind of understanding the importance and the benefits of this. Uh, where do you, what do you see them doing next? Where, where are they? They've kind of embedded this, they've adopted it. They realize the importance. What's, uh, what are these people in these organizations that are kind of leading this? Where are they going? Lexi, coming to you first. Yeah. Just to start out again, I just want to reiterate that key practice of enabling people managers seems to be where the practice is going next. And, um, you know, then giving them the resources to uh, make better decisions about their workforce. And I think Ian can embellish on this quite quite a bit beyond that. <laughs> I, I could probably talk for hours, but I, that's the core <laughs> of it, Lexi, absolutely. So what we've seen, John, is this is this growing out of waves of engagement with the business. So people analytics teams set up, they inform the executive within the HR group, they get their kind of house in order in terms of data and credibility. Then they start to roll in the HR business partner community and activate that population. Then they start to connect with people managers. And, and we know there's a kind of quantum step in, in value. One thing that is definitely happening between the leaders and, and the rest is the nature of the answer. So oftentimes people analytics is like, it, it falls into the trap of the HR administration workflow. We need analytics because we need to tell our managers how many people, how many of their people haven't filled in the engagement survey. You know, no manager likes that message. 
That's just another thing to do that's not something they're doing to drive results. It's associated with the results, but it's not directly results. So what we're seeing the leaders do is actually flip the paradigm and saying like the business manager is actually my customer. Yes, you know, I need them to fill in the survey about their employee sentiment, but actually I need to be able to bring in their data about the work that is being done by their team. We have a large development population. We make software. They are the engine of value inside our business. We are bringing the story points, so the amount of um, code that is getting created by each individual and attaching it to the person in our data set. We use Vizier to run Vizier. so kind of a, a little laboratory. And so we treat the development team as a customer and say, like, what do they need to know about the impact people have on their ability to ship code? And so when somebody leaves or somebody joins, we can actually look at the change in story point availability. Somebody who's got experience with our code will do you know, 20, 30% more than somebody who's brand new. So we're starting to produce you know, a monthly cadence of, the moves in and out and the readjustments in teams inside your people unit means that you are 10% above capacity, 5% below, 20% off. That's going to have a knock-on effect on when we can ship our next piece of code. And so it's extending out to be not about HR. It's not about, you know, have we completed performance reviews? Are we all on track with our merit cycle? It's not the administration of the people. It's actually the business impact of people and how that relates. We're at the early stages of that, but we, we've, we're we doing this with ourselves. We've got, again, our leading customers uh, coming to us and working with us to explore that. Because, uh, again, unlike classic HR, that's not a one-size-fits-all. Like, this works this way in development. It works this way in sales. It works a different way in call center. It works a different way. Safety is a, another area where we see lots of interest. So you actually have to start segmenting your business and thinking about the different customers as business units as opposed to, well, we just push out this one dashboard, everybody goes to it, and we can forget about what we're doing. Like it's yeah. <laughs> the problem only gets more rich and complex and powerful. You know, people managers, line managers run the business. And what we're seeing with our customers is they're now applying data to make improved decisions around the workforce in the business on a daily basis. Yeah. And the value of that is just stupendous accelerated by the hybridization of work as well. Because that's just, it's, we saw a 40% spike in demand on March of 2020, the day everybody went home. Um, and that that was, but it wasn't HR trying to work out what was going on. That's every people manager having to look after their people and needing the data to do it. Um, that spike hasn't dropped. So we know the data's kind of jumped the fence into the hands of people managers. Yeah, there's something really important that Ian is, has brought up here, John, which is, you know, that research has actually shown financial impacts of the use of people analytics. But there are so many um, opportunities to apply data to actually improve the quality of life for employees, you know, um, and Ian has given just a, you know, a profound one, you know, the wellness of our employees. And we're just seeing that over and over again. When organizations apply analytics to improve inclusion, the quality of life improves for people in the organization. Well, 
Lexi, Ian, there's so, I mean, there's so much more we can say on this, but we've scratched the surface just about on, on the topic of people analytics, but thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's great to kind of link the, the data element of it to kind of tangible outcomes. And the way to do it, obviously, is kind of speaking the language of the C-suite. And uh, it's been a fascinating discourse. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thank you, John.